0: You turn to 1st Peter please 1st Peter chapter 1 and if you have the Bibles that uh, were passed out it's page 934 1st Peter chapter 1 page 934 I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 1 Peter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love Him, even though you have never seen Him. And though you do not see Him now, you trust Him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful description of the hope that is ours that can impact and change us and our lives in a very real way. And I pray that you would open our eyes again this morning to the reality of who you are and who we are and the difference that can make in our lives in Jesus. Amen. Well, we're still here. <laughs> I was not Harold Camping. I, you know, I had to refer to this, right? I mean, it's been all over the news, and it's very relevant, actually, to what I'm preaching about this morning. Harold Camping, the 89-year-old former civil engineer who spent $100 million, well, he spent other people's $100 million, advertising that yesterday was the day, and then I guess maybe it was really Friday was when it started. Harold Camping, for all of his bragging about being a Bible scholar. Was wrong. Yesterday wasn't the Bible's appointed end. No apocalypse, no rapture. Harold Camping is just another in a long line, uh, there's been many before him, of mistaken end time guessers. Um, in Harold's case, I think he would have learned from having made a mistake in 1994 already, but um, had to make it again. I mean, just, just to review quickly, Messianic end-time groups go back, 1978. Jim Jones, his People's Temple. Some of you are too young to remember that. Marshall Applewhite's Heaven Gate, Heaven's Gate, in 1997. David Koresh's Branch Davidians, in 1993. All three of those groups ended with committing mass suicide, thinking that it was the end times. Notable end time predictions include um, the Millerites. Um, the Seventh-day Adventist founder William Miller who predicted that the end of time would happen in 1844 or the Watchtower Society now called the Jehovah's Witnesses that in 1914 the end times would come and I'm sure there's been many others in Matthew 24:36, Mike Zuloff quoted it for me this morning Jesus very clearly says, No one knows the day nor the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, but the Father alone. It's pretty clear. So why I'm never troubled, I'm not worried about the Mayan prediction next year any more than I was about the prediction yesterday because there's one thing the bible makes clear about the end times is that we don't know. We don't know and we won't know. So, so what is the point then just in in, in thinking about the curiosity that goes with all what is the point of end time prophecies in the first place then? And we can say the book of revelation, what is the point? I mean, of all these prophecies that talk about the end times and what will happen, if it's not speculation, and there's a lot of it, hundreds of books written about it, if it's not speculation, <coughs> trying to figure it all out, what is the point? Well, Second Peter 3.11 tells us really clearly what the point is. And this is what it says. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this. I mean, the apocalypse is a reality. (coughs) Although people like Harold Camping make it folly in the, the eyes of the world. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, this is the point. What holy and godly lives you should live. That's the point. Not speculation, but I would call it sanctification. (laughs) The determination to live holy lives, to to live lives that are pleasing to Jesus when he returns, and so that we're ready when he returns. And so the point of a living hope, (laughs) looking forward to Jesus' return, the point of it is a living faith. I'm going to repeat that because that's the heart of what 1 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9 is talking about. That the point of a living hope is a living faith. And so that's the question I want us to to think about this morning. Do we have a living faith? Or is our faith merely a label is our faith living or is it a label recently in an interview with ABC's Christiane Amanpour I think that's her name on her Sunday talk show this week Franklin Graham the uh, son of Billy Graham was asked whether President Obama is a Christian and he replied, Well he has told me that he is a Christian, but the but the debate comes, what is a Christian? And this is what Franklin Graham goes on to say about President Obama. And I and I just want to say up front that I'm I'm not involving myself in the question of whether or not our president is a Christian. Okay, that's not the point. Um, but it's what Franklin Graham says here, which I think is, is crucial. He says, for him going to church, he's, he's making a judgment about President Obama here, he says, for him going to church means he's a Christian. For me, the definition of a Christian is whether we have given our life to Christ and are following him in faith and we have trusted him as our Lord and Savior. That's the definition of a Christian. It's not as to what church you are a member of. A membership doesn't make you a Christian. Is your faith living? Or is it a label? Well, that's the question that, that we're going to look at this morning in First Peter. And I want you to ask yourself, really seriously, is for two reasons. I mean, some of you this morning know... Yeah, I know, like Paul says, I know whom I have believed. Okay? And you know that your faith is real, but I'm asking you this morning, is your faith living? Okay? Is it living? Is it genuine? If somebody else were to describe you, would they say that your faith is vigorous? (laughs) When I think of vigorous, sorry, it's the... It keeps coming to my mind every time I've thought of it in preparing for the sermon. It it goes brings me back to the mask of Zorro <laughs> when uh, Antonio Banderas is dueling with um, Catherine Zeta Jones, and you know they have this duel and he takes off and then her, then the other guys show up and and they ask. And and her only way of describing him was vigorous. (laughs) Is your faith vigorous? If it helps to think of that, you know, movie. Is your faith vigorous? Or is it just a label? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at what a living faith is and how it can be ours. So let's, let's look back at 1 Peter and we're going to just look at it, it kind of is you in the Bibles here you can see it's broken down into three sections and we're going to see three ways the living faith is described and I want you to kind of evaluate yourself as we look at them. Verses 3 to 5 then verses 6 to 7 and then verses 8 and 9. I'm going to read verses 3 to 5 again they're, they're so important and they're the foundation of this section. So All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. That's where some of your Bibles say we have a living hope. We live with great expectation. I, I like the wording in this session because it's, all, it's so alive. It doesn't, it doesn't allow for lukewarm label faith. It says we live with great expectation. That's, that's anticipation and, and longing and eagerness. Because we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled and beyond the reach of change and decay. Now that is an inheritance worth having. It's not the one my kids are going to get. And through your faith, and this is where it culminates, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, or you could say this inheritance, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. You know, one of my favorite Jesus responses to the religious leaders in the Gospels Is in Luke chapter 20. Actually, if you want to turn there, if you just turn there for a sec, Luke chapter 20, page 803 in this Bible. As usual, the religious leaders are trying to trick Jesus, they're trying to trip him up by their questions. And in this case, we have some Sadducees who don't believe that there is such a thing as a resurrection asking him a question about the resurrection to try and trip him up. And Jesus culminates his argument in verse 37. Luke 20, 37. And it's such an important response. Jesus says, But now, as to whether the dead will be raised... Even Moses proved this, meaning that there will be a resurrection of the dead, when he wrote about the burning bush. Long after Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had died, they're they're dead, they're buried, they're decomposed. Oops, I just lost my place. I got so excited. All right. 803, thank you. (laughs) Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, Moses referred to the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And literally what Jesus says there, he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so, Moses, so Jesus said, he is the God of the living, not the dead. And if you get what Jesus, what God could have said, but what he didn't say was, because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're dead and they're gone, they're buried, they're deacon, but he could have said, I was the God of Abraham. (laughs) Kind of like what we talked about yesterday. I was at the parade. I was a pastor at Lincoln Avenue Bible Church but I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so by God's wording, he demonstrates that he is a present, living God. Like the the old hymn says, I, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. A living hope. And so I want to just summarize back to 1 Peter here, these verses, verses 3 through 5. That our living faith is grounded upon a living hope that is ours because of the fact of what God did in the past. That's the first thing. And Daniel preached about it last week. And we could go back to verse... 1 to see that, or verse 2. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. God, verse 2, the Father knew you, He chose you, the Spirit made you holy, He drew you, and as a result, you have obeyed Him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have a living faith that is grounded in a living hope. That's the first thing we're seeing in these verses 3 to 5. That our a living faith is one that is grounded in a living hope because it's convinced of what God did in the past. He chose us, He drew us, He purchased us. Historically, it happened. It's a fact. And our living faith, a living faith is grounded in that living hope. It's something that happened in the past. But also, because it happened in the past, it was promised and it happened, there's a certainty that the promises about the future will also happen, this inheritance that is undefiled, it's pure, it won't fade away. It's and so there's a convinced about the past and there's a certainty about the future because the same God who did what He did in the past rose, He's living, and He's promised that He's coming in in the future in the same way that He promised He would come in the past. And so because the past is certain and the future is certain, we have a living faith that is confident in the present also. And that's really what verse 5 focuses on. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this inheritance. See, our faith is confident of the past, the future, And therefore what God is to us in the present. I want you to imagine a little boy surrounded by bullies in the who are always beating up little boys. And as he's walking down the street and he sees these bullies coming that are known for beating up little boys, what is he to feel? He should feel absolute fear. But he's not afraid. Why? Because his dad is walking right alongside of him. And his dad has whooped on bullies before. And his dad will whoop on bullies again. And so long as he trusts, right now, as he's walking down the street with his dad walking beside him, that his dad, who has whooped on bullies in the past and has promised him that he'll whoop on any bullies in the future, He's confident that there no bullies that are going to do anything to him right now, as he walks down the street. As long as he trusts in his dad, the whopper of bullies. But let's imagine now that all of a sudden, you know, as the bullies are they're coming closer, and he's walking, that all of a sudden he forgets that his dad's walking right beside of him. And he starts looking at these bullies and he's heard the stories of what these bullies have done. And all of a sudden, he's just overtaken by fear and he bolts and he runs. What's going to happen to him? He's going to be beat up by bullies. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive that promised inheritance you know life has a lot of bullies that, that 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 beat up on us all the time a job we've lost our finances that are rough poor health addictions shattered relationships, bullies that just want to that, that want to over overtake us and overwhelm us and, and incapacitate us. But if we have a living faith that is grounded in a living hope of who our God is, what He has done, how he has conquered, that he's coming again, and that same God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is our God. He's our Father. Then we don't need to fear those bullies. A living faith, number one, is grounded in and guarded by a living hope. Is that the faith that you have this morning? The second thing, look at verses 6 and 7, about a living faith. It's not only grounded in And guarded by a living hope, but a living faith is genuine. Verse 6 says, So be truly glad. The word actually, there's a lot of words for gladness and joy in the Bible. This one by itself means extremely joyful. The word itself says, So be extremely, this is something we should be extremely joyful about. That we have a dad like our dad. There is wonderful joy ahead even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. I mean, those bullies that are there to overwhelm and incapacitate us, these bullies, I mean, these trials will show that our faith is genuine. It's a real faith. It is being tested as fire, tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials... It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. A living faith is not only grounded in a living hope, it's genuine. It's not put on. It's not a label. It's real in the face of the fire, of refining. It isn't just talk. You know, one, one thing about... Faith and what we see from these verses is is that the fire doesn't make us. The fire reveals us. Gold isn't made by the fire. Gold is exposed by the fire. It's because all the dross is burned away and all that's left is gold. The fire is what reveals us. And from what we see here is what we should embrace because what we want is a real faith a genuine faith, a living faith. We don't want just a label because what good is a label when the fire comes, when the bullies attack and we bolt and all we do is get beat up. And Dear people, we get beat up way more than we should get beat up <laughs> because we're settling for a faith that isn't real. It's not for re- the real world. It's not for the fire. It's not for the bullies. It's just for it's just for saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to heaven. But a living faith is a faith that's genuine. Like these lyrics, I was as I was finishing up studying last night, I was listening to, to Pandora at the same time, and a song by Sarah Groves came up. And it says, if God is speaking, these are just the four little phrases. It says, dress down your pretty faith. Excuse me. Dress down your pretty faith. Give me something real. Leave out the thee and thou and speak to me now. That's like what God is asking of us. I'm not looking for people who just say, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. God, I love you. But get rid of all the... Extraneous dross like gold being refined and just want to be real people rooted in the living hope of who our God is, past, present and future and, and so living faith in the midst of the bullies in the midst of the the fire doesn't belly ache right? It doesn't grouse or complain or gripe it doesn't have a poor me or a why me attitude because because gold is just refined by the fire I've, I've shared this before but I tell you one of the, one of the big, biggest blessings for me personally to be reminded of the the blessing of the refining of fire of the bullies that come to test us and refine us is reading uh, Voice of the Martyrs magazine and reading the testimonies of brothers and sisters in Christ around the world Cambodia and Iran and, and uh, China and, and Indonesia and, and, and all these places where it's against the law to be a Christian, a believer. And so at the threat of life or losing their kids or being in, 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 in hard labor for the rest of their lives, they live for Christ. They have a living faith because it's rooted in this living hope. And it's real. It's amazing how real it is. It's not affected by the heat of suffering because it's rooted in a living hope. And they don't have this poor me, why me, oh, I don't want to go through this attitude. In fact, one of the articles I read, they said, as they were talking to the, the people that, that put out the voice of the martyrs, they said, tell, tell Western Christians to quit praying that we wouldn't go through suffering, but just pray for grace in the midst of suffering because they know And they've experienced how valuable suffering is. They have a living faith because it's rooted in a living hope. So often, ours is just a label. Finally, verses eight and nine. Not only a living faith that is grounded in a living hope that is genuine, um, but I end with kind of what I started with: a living faith therefore, is a vigorous faith. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. You love him even though you have never seen him. And though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the word is unable to be described. It's so amazing joy. Like one of those ecstasy moments when you're driving across the Warren Avenue Bridge and The sun's rising, and you see the Olympics covered with snow, and you just, it's you're overwhelmed. You just can't express it. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith, literally it says, the salvation of souls. And I'm going to come to that in a second. A vigorous faith says, Though you have never seen him, and though you don't see him now. I think these are the words where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Where so many of us struggle. How How can I trust someone that I can't touch? How can I trust something that I can't see? If I could just have a God with skin on. I've had people tell me that so many times. If I just a God with skin on or a God that I can hug or a God that I, that I, would, I could just sit down with and talk with face to face like we are right now. And we could talk a lot more about this if you want to talk later, but, but I want to just simply summarize what I've said already by this short little phrase. If you're thinking those things, if I just had this God, if I just had this God, to me the answer is we did, and we do, and we will. We did. He came. He was here. He lived. He died. He rose. He's a living Savior. We do and he's coming again we will just because we've never seen him we don't see him now does not deny the absolute reality that he lived that he's living and that he's a coming again and we will live with him forever I don't know about you, but some of the most real experiences, and I mean real, capital R-E-A-L, experiences that I have ever had have been spiritual ones. And I'm not talking about some, there can be illusionary experiences, but for me, real experiences with God, really experiencing His comfort, As much as my wife comforting me. Really experiencing his presence as much as a person sitting in a chair right next to me. Really experiencing worship and relationship and joy and inspiration and direction and wisdom. That's because our living faith is based on a living hope. He's alive, he's living, he's real. It's true. And he can be that alive to you today in the midst of the bullies. And that's what we see here really quickly, just to wrap up these verses. It says, you love him, and so a living faith will be intimate. It's a relationship. If, if for you, you say, man, that's just not real to me, it's because you're not involved in a relationship with him it's become a book it's become a ritual it's become a ceremony it's a real relationship it's a present tense relationship it's a living loving relationship and so the a living faith there's an intimacy to it there's a childlike dependence to it and though you do not see him now you trust him because you know that he's your father And no bullies can can get to you because he's with you. So there's intimacy. There's dependent, childlike dependence. It's like the little child again at school confronted by the bullies. He's all by himself this time. He doesn't see his father anywhere, but with boldness he says, you come one step closer and my dad will beat the tar out of you. A living faith. A faith that is extremely joyful. I tell you, it's convicting to me as I read through this again because so often I don't have that living faith because I get overwhelmed. I am often overwhelmed by the bullies. <laughs> there is so much that can overwhelm us and I lose the joy because of the reality of a God who was and is and is to come. He's my God and He's alive. And as a result, impacts others. And I just want you to look at the very last verse, and I'm going to wrap it up. It says here, it says, The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. And it's a horrible translation because the word your is not in the original, it's not there. They're making an interpretation. Literally, what it says is obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of souls and I think what it's saying very clearly is is if we have this kind of living faith it's going to impact other people Harold Camping's faith well it is impacting other people but it's making them mock it's making them made fun it's making them doubt and deny but this kind of living faith based on a living hope will make a difference and people will be changed because they're going to say, man, I want that too. So why don't we have this living faith? Vigorous, genuine, intimate, dependent. I think the answer is simple because we don't have a living hope. For us, it's in the past. It's like, oh yeah, Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. You know, we can whip that out. You know, it's something that happened in the past or it's something we're looking to in the future. But we haven't seen that it's the same God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our faith is living because it's grounded in and it's reveling in a God who is, who was, and is to come he's our god and it doesn't matter the bullies that will it doesn't matter what we'll face because he's a god who walks beside us he conquered he's going to conquer and he will conquer today he's our god let's pray father how can we say thanks for the things you have done for us so undeserved, it's all you're doing, it's all your grace, you are so good, you are great, you are God, and you're that God for us, for me, today. Oh, Father, open our eyes to see that, to believe it, to live it, in Jesus' name, amen.